It's my honor this morning to welcome back Pastor Armin Weller to lead us in the message in a time of communion. Pastor, welcome. Good morning. Good to see you all. Good to be back with you again. Uh, boy, I'm, in, I, sorry, Josh, I stuck you with that passage of Scripture with all those names of places and countries. That, uh, that was a cruel thing to do. <laughs> but uh, I will say one of the things that has impressed me about this church is the leadership that you have is phenomenal. Uh, do you appreciate how, how, much, uh, how much you are blessed by the people that you have that are leading you? It's just amazing to me that uh, you would do that. Yes, good, good. One of the joys I have in speaking to other churches is uh, people don't know what I'm going to talk about. Sometimes I don't know what I'm going to talk about. And, uh, but coming to this church, one of the joys for me is knowing that you've had a great background of biblical preaching and teaching over the years. And uh, that makes it easier for me because if I mess up, you'll know I messed up and you can correct, your, correct me in your own minds as we go forward. Would you join me in prayer, please? Bless us, O Lord, and guide us by your word, and by your Holy Spirit. Amen. Title of the message this morning is Something More. Something More. This is what the apostles and disciples experienced on that day that is called Pentecost. And when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise, like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire, distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Day of Pentecost. It's interesting if you get into the original language, I always like to say when I share a message that uh, I'm quoting to you from the original language because it makes you think I might be intelligent, and that makes me feel good. Uh, but the original language says something very interesting here. It, it says, when the day of Pentecost had come. But the original, the original language actually says, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, had completely come. There's something going on here that didn't start on that day. It's something that had started literally centuries and centuries beforehand with the work of God. Here were these disciples, not knowing what to expect, but being told by Jesus, wait, go into the city and wait and I'm going to send you what you need. And don't do anything 
until you receive power. Let me set the scene. They've already waited 49 days from the time of the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. They were gathered together. There was, a, there was an anticipation about what Jesus was going to do for them. The risen Lord, what did they have in mind for them? He called it the promise of the Father. I'm going to send you the promise of the Father. You are going to receive power from on high. There was this unity, therefore, of purpose in the minds of these people. We are here for one reason, to wait upon the Lord, to see what the Lord has in mind for us. There was a, a sense of faith. They were trusting that Jesus actually knew what he was talking about when he said, go and wait. But they didn't know what he was going to do. And I, I just imagine that there may have been even some impatience among the people. We've been waiting almost 50 days. Is Jesus really going to come through? But they continued on. They continued to wait. They wanted to make sure that they weren't wasting their time. What's going to happen? There's something more that is going to take place. And, and for those of us who know what happened, I think it's hard for us sometimes to get into the mindset of these people and imagine what they were going through. Jesus always came through in the past. Would, would he come through this time again? There was a, a sense of openness, a sense of receptivity. How do you wait for something like this? How do you wait? It's not just sitting around twiddling your thumbs. They did all that talking during those 49 days of waiting. What did they talk about? Remembering things that Jesus had done over the last three years. How he had surprised them so many times. And how he had loved them so well. And how whenever he spoke a word that they didn't understand in the beginning, eventually they did. Sometimes he would explain it to them so they could understand. Other times it just came to them. All, all of a sudden it made sense. Oh, oh, that's what he meant when he said that. They shared all these memories during this time. And they would continue to ask each other questions. What's he going to do? How's he going to do it? How will he manifest this power that he promised to us? What would it be like? There had to be what you might call active listening. Remember Isaiah 40, 31, they that wait upon the Lord will renew their minds. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not be weary. They will walk and not faint. This is, this is active listening. Uh, let, me, let me explain it this way. My wife and my daughter and I were uh, at a restaurant last night, and this little girl came by, and she was the waitress. Oh, I know, she's a server. 
No, she's a waitress. And what did she say to us? Are you ready to order? That's what a good waiter or waitress does. Are you ready to order? This is how we should wait upon the Lord. On a regular basis, day after day. Are you ready to order? Have you ever had a waitress or a waiter argue with you? Oh, you don't want to try that. That'll make you sick. No. They will get you whatever you ask for within reason. I asked for something last night that wasn't on the menu. I said, I want it anyway. And she got it for me because she didn't argue with me. Are you ready to order? That's the attitude I think that these apostles and disciples have. Okay, Lord, you tell us what to do. Whatever you want us to do. Active waiting upon the Lord. And they came together, and they worked us out as they, as they gathered. They came together not just to get blessed themselves. They came that what Father gave them, they would use to bless others. It was, a, it was the next step along the way of their discipleship. If you were here two weeks ago, you heard this wonderful message. Oh, I thought I shouldn't say that. <laughs> if you were here two weeks ago, you heard me say, I heard a pastor in Texas, in Dallas, say they had just come back from learning how to water ski on vacation. And he said the one rule about water skiing properly was when they turn on the power, hold on. Very simple. When they turn on the power, hold on. This is what the disciples had to understand on this day of Pentecost. Whenever it comes, whatever Jesus is going to do, whatever the Spirit will bring into our lives on this day, hold on. Go wherever he takes you to go. And Jesus said, and don't go anywhere without the power. Can you imagine what it would be like to water ski before they turned on the power? You are guaranteed to fail. You will sink in the water and get nowhere. Hold on. When you get the power, hold on. How did this fit into God's overall plan then? They had to be wondering that. We've, we've seen what Jesus has done. We've, we've heard what he taught. We, we see how he's tried to show us how we fit into God's unfolding plan of salvation for all mankind down through the centuries. He's been preparing the way. What is going to happen? What has God been doing that we can get some hints about what's going to happen before it happens in our lives on this celebration of the festival of Pentecost? It all fits into the ongoing picture when you think about it. Let's go back to the beginning. In the beginning, God created 
the heavens and the earth. That can also be translated in the beginning, while God was creating the heavens and the earth, what was happening? The Spirit of the Lord was moving upon the face of the deep. Some people think the Holy Spirit's not mentioned in the Bible until the day of Pentecost. Oh, no, 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 no. Before anything took place in this world, the Spirit was moving. God, by His Spirit, was taking disorder and making it orderly. God's always doing. It's who He is. He's doing stuff. And He wants us to do stuff with Him. I remember the testimony of John Wimber who said at one point, when he first became a Christian, he said to the pastor after a few weeks, when do we start doing Jesus stuff? He meant, how do we follow in the path of Jesus? How do we accomplish what Jesus has called us to do, what, what Jesus has empowered us to do? When do we start doing Jesus stuff? That's what you and I are called to. What's Jesus doing? I want to do that with him. In the beginning, while God was creating the heavens and the earth, the Spirit of the Lord was moving upon the face of the deep, and he was, he was doing stuff before that. He's still doing stuff today, and he wants you to share in it with him as he continues to do his ministry in us and for us and through us. The stuff he does is amazing. And he does it by his spirit, by, by the wind of God. There's a great Hebrew word. Yes, I know Hebrew too. I'm amazing. There's a great Hebrew word that, that can be translated air, wind, breath, or spirit, depending on the context. Sometimes it means all four at the same time. Great word. I love it because you can tell what the word means when you hear it spoken. Spelled R-H-U-A-C-H. And pronounced, ready for this? Ruach. Not a great word. Ruach. You can't say it without getting some wind and breath moving. It's the Spirit of God. It's the breath of the Almighty. It's the wind that violently rushed in on the day of Pentecost and touched the lives of all the people gathered there. It was a movement of the Spirit of God that dramatically affected the bystanders who were just listening in. And God formed man of the dust of the earth, Genesis 2-7, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. That same word, huach. Breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and he became a living being. God is doing stuff. Creating life. You may have heard the story of the man who said he figured out 
how to create life. And the pastor said, God said, okay, show me how you can create life. And he says, well, first I take some of this dirt. And God said, make your own dirt. There was a time when the prophet Joel was prompted by God to say these words and to write them down. It will come about after this. After, this, after what? After all these days, after all these years, after all these centuries, it will come about after this that I will pour out my spirit on all mankind. And your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on the male and female servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. During Joel's lifetime, there were only three kinds of people who had the spirit come upon them. There were prophets, there were priests, and there were kings. They were called the anointed ones. And Joel says, God has told me that there's going to come a day when things will change. And God will do something new, but it will be a continuation of the old. It's not going to be something different. It's going to be something fuller. And when the day of Pentecost had fully come, he poured out his spirit upon all flesh as Joel prophesied he would do. And God made new covenant with his people. Covenant written upon their hearts, according to Jeremiah 13. Let me, let me, let me throw in a footnote here. I like to give free things in every sermon. This was not part of the original schedule. There was, and still is today, the celebration among the Hebrew people of seven different festivals throughout the year. And these festivals were designed by God and dictated by God to help people remember every year things he did in their lives as a nation of people. One of those celebrations was called Passover. It was at Passover that Jesus was crucified and then raised from the dead. For Passover, there was a certain kind of bread that they were to eat. It was, it was, it wasn't tasty. It was like thick crackers. It wouldn't even taste good with peanut butter on it. And it was to remind them of the fact that when they, when they were rescued out of slavery in Egypt, that they didn't have time to have bread that was raised, <clears throat> but they had to eat this dry as dust. Passover bread, matzah, called matzah. Doesn't even sound good, does it? The next, the next celebration, the next festival after Passover was Pentecost. Pentecost wasn't a new thing when it happened 
according to Acts chapter 2. This had been celebrated for centuries. And they had a different kind of bread that they ate at Passover. It was bread that was full of ruach. Bread that was full of air. It was bread that had produced it and caused it to rise up. It was good bread. It tasted good. It smelled good. I, I have in my mind's eye the idea that on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came, that smelled like freshly baked bread in that room. Don't you love the smell of freshly baked bread filled up with air? Puffy bread. Yummy bread. I was, I was telling the people beforehand when we were getting things ready up here for communion, I, I, there was a loaf up here. And I said, I remember the time I, I made the loaf that we had used. <laughs> My daughter's nodding her head, she remembers. And, and it was freshly baked that, that, I don't know if that day or that night before. Anyway, I took this loaf and I said, and he took the bread and blessed it and broke it. And as I'm going to do shortly, you'll see me break the bread. Except it's stretched. It's stretched. It's stretched. I finally tore apart. I had to rewrite the scripture. And then he took it. Freshly baked bread. You know, in 2 Corinthians, Paul says we should, we should have the, the sweet smelling aroma of the knowledge of Christ. That's, that's how you and I should come into the realm of other people. Boy, you smell good. Like freshly baked bread. We can, we can impact the lives of others just by being there. Filled with the Spirit. We're different because we're filled with the Spirit. The Ruach of God. The sweet-smelling aroma of the knowledge of Jesus. So what happened on this day? Well, finally, the apostles and their disciples knew something was happening. You know, when, when things started moving that were lying on the table in front of them because of this, you see how it's described? A violent, rushing wind. It's, it's, it's almost like a hurricane. And yet, this is the exciting part about it, just as in the first verse of Genesis, there was a wind that came upon the deep. There was a wind that came into this room in which they were gathered, and things didn't fly apart. It was orderly. How, how can God do that? I don't know. But he did. Try and sit there in that room with those apostles and those disciples. What's going on? This days for that. We've been waiting 49 days for this 
event to take place. This is it. God is getting our attention. This is no ordinary day. This is a noisy day. Violent wind. Fire coming upon the heads of the people. People in the area noticed what was going on. There was a, a report some years ago <clears throat> that in, in a country far, far away, this is supposed to be true, that there was a sort of a Pentecostal experience, so much so that they called up the fire trucks to come and check out the fire in this particular house. It must have been that and even greater on that day of Pentecost. What's, what's God doing? How is this going to help us? Well, it got their attention. They've been sort of lolling around for seven weeks, and God gets their attention. What do you think of this, boys? It was a continuation. It was something more. Not something new, something more of what God has been doing from the very beginning of his creative process. Years later, the Apostle Paul would describe it this way. He said, don't you know that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit? You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. That which happened on the day of Pentecost caused the Spirit of God to come into your room and into your life and into your spirit. And you are now a changed being. Paul describes it in 2 Corinthians 5 as you are a new creature in Christ. A new creature. Years ago, one of my favorite teachers named Malcolm Smith put it this way. He said, a caterpillar becoming a butterfly is amazing, but becoming a new creature is a whole different thing. It's like a fish becoming a bird. Think about that. This is a dramatic transformation of the person who receives the Spirit of God. That's what you and I are supposed to be. That's how we should recognize ourselves. We are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit dwells within us. And we should live by the power of that Spirit under the rules of this new covenant. And I, I believe that Father made it so dramatic because of what was coming down the pike into the lives of these apostles. Things are going to get tough for them. They are going to be killed for their faith. And there had to come many moments when they said, did God really do what we think he did? And he made it so obvious that this was something different and yet a continuation of that which he had already been doing that they knew 
they were on a journey for the Lord. It was different, and yet it was the same. My wife started law school at age 50, and she's only 51 now. <laughs> she started law school at age 50, and law school is really tough. But God spoke to her and said to her, as she was watching the Clarence Thomas uh, Supreme Court hearings on TV back in the 90s, this is what I want you to be for me, for my people, an attorney for my people. And she's doing that today. And all through the three years of law school, hey, and tell them, law school is tough. If any of you are attorneys, you know, law school is tough. They, they weed out the weak people really fast. And my ministry for three years to my wife was to remind her that, yes, she was supposed to be here. No, she couldn't drop out. No matter how tough it got, God called her to this. And that's what God does when he's going to face you with something really tough. He makes it so clear ahead of time that this is what he wants you to do, that you have no doubts at the right time or someone reminds you, yes, this is what God wants you to do. I would suggest to you, don't ask for signs. When God tells you to do something, don't ask for a sign saying, how can I know? Show me a sign. Because he only shows signs to people who are going to face something so difficult that they need that obvious reminder Yes, this is God's call upon your life. Is this making sense to anyone besides me? No. Okay, I'll say it a different way. <laughs> God did not put any physical, visible mark on those apostles on the day of Pentecost. He just had them experience something so indelible that they would know when things got difficult. Yes, God called us to this. And yes, he has given us the power to do what he has called us to do. What has been your experience with the Spirit of God? I'm hoping you've been thinking about it during this time. There are people that attend church in various places, probably here and other places as well. I call them people who are eavesdroppers. They're eavesdroppers. They're listening in because they're interested. You might call it a spillover of the Spirit of God. They get splashed on occasionally. They get damp. There was a member of this church years ago. She had been attending for a few months, and, and she came to me and said, I need to talk to you. I'm confused. On Sunday, when we worship God, I just feel so good, so, so positive, and that carries over into Monday, but till we get to Tuesday, I'm back where I was before, feeling sort of down and wondering what life is all about. 
And the next Sunday I come to church and I get filled up all over again. I feel so good. But then a little less on Monday and out of energy on Tuesday. And I said to her, have you ever asked Jesus to be the Lord of your life? No, I never have. What's that all about? She had been going to church in various places for years. And if the message was shared, she didn't hear it. But here in my office, or down there in my office, she heard about Jesus in a way that God could touch her. I don't know what I said different. I think she was just open. And there in my office, she committed her life to the Lord. And she went home. And two days later, her husband said to her, what happened to you? You're acting different than you've ever acted before. The Spirit of God was dwelling there. The Spirit of God had given her the gift of salvation. She was changed. She was a new creature. And her husband, after she explained what happened, said to her, I want that too. And she led her husband to the Lord two days after she became a Christian. And then their kids started to say, how come mom and dad are acting differently than they used to? And they asked, and their, parent, their parents answered. And the children committed their lives to the Lord. And for years after that, those led people to Jesus. Or in that family, led people to Jesus just by being different because they were new creatures in Christ and the Spirit of God dwelt within them. I hope you've experienced that. Have you been waiting for it? Have you been wondering what else God may do? Is there something more? Some of you are saying, I know that. Some of you are saying, I'd like to know that. I'm going to challenge you. We're going to celebrate communion very shortly here. I'd like to challenge all of you, whether you've experienced the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and salvation from Jesus, or, you, or you, you've had some of the spillover. When we take communion and we take into our mouths the bread, and the cup. I want you to ask Jesus to release in you his Holy Spirit. In the very act of communion, I want you to at least consider doing that for a refreshing or a new life experience. It's for all of us. How many people received the Holy Spirit who were waiting for it on the day of Pentecost? They all did. They all received the Holy Spirit. That's my challenge to you.
That's my message to you today. That's my hope for you. That you will know without a doubt the reality of the indwelling Spirit of God. Something that happened centuries ago, but God's still doing today and wants us all to know intimately, personally, so that we, filled with the Spirit, smell good, like fresh baked bread, so that, so that we show new life. Let me close with this. I may say that more, but I don't think so. We are spirit beings. We were created by God to work by the Spirit. To try and live a Christian life without the Spirit empowering us is a waste of time. It's like trying to water ski before they turn the power on. Something that many of you have said was very profound without realizing it. When you met someone who was pregnant and you said, she's starting to show, that means that there is now outward evidence that there's new life growing inside of her. That's who we are, filled with the Spirit. And we should be breathing in the Spirit and breathing out the Spirit and influencing the lives of others in such a way that people can say, oh, look at him, look at her. Outwardly, by the way, starting to show. They're starting to show outwardly by the way they live their lives, by the way they talk, by the way they receive, even by the way they think and their attitudes. There's new life growing inside of them. It's the life of the Spirit of God. Spirit beings, that's who you've been called to be. That's the gift that Father offers to each one of us. The promise of Father. His Spirit to live a life that brings honor and glory to the name of Jesus. Pray with me, please. Lord God, we thank you. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for what you've always been doing and what you offer to each one of us. We thank you for the goodness you are as our Heavenly Father. And we ask, Lord, that you would help us to be open to doing with us what you want to do. By your Spirit, Lord God, make of us what you would have us be in a way that will only bring honor to you and glory to your holy name as we share in the sacrament in a few moments of Holy Communion. Fill us anew, many of us for the first time, that we might know you more intimately and personally. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. We're going to share the Lord's Supper.
This is his table. All of his people are invited to this table. He invites us to come and enjoy this simple, symbolic, and yet powerful meal with him and with one another. Should I be counted as among the people of God? There are two qualifications. One is receiving the gift of salvation. Have you repented of your sins and received new life in Jesus? As we, earlier in the service, pray the prayer of confession and receive the assurance of our forgiveness. Have you been baptized in the Christian faith, whether as a child or as an adult? If so, you are invited to the table to share in this wonderful meal with Jesus. There is a warning addressed to God's people. It says we should not eat or drink in an unworthy manner. Those who do so, the Bible says, eat and drink judgment to themselves. This is why we examined ourselves earlier in the service. Here's how we'll do it today. The elders will bring the elements to you in the pews. Our practice is to eat the bread individually whenever you want to after having received it. After you receive the bread, it will be a sign that we have come to the Lord as individuals. Then when we share the cup together, we ask you to hold that cup until the elders have distributed to everyone. And we drink that together as a sign of our unity in the Spirit as one with Jesus, the one who says, I know you by name. You're mine. Let's pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you, the creator of all life and of all that we know. We thank you for what you've been doing in us and through us and around us and with us. We thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior, the one who has died for us and was raised again by you, that we might not only receive forgiveness, but the wondrous gift of eternal life through the salvation he offers. We thank you for the Holy Spirit, our God, the one that you have sent to show us more intimately who you are and how we can be one together. Simple people who fall short of your glory, living in communion with the one true and living God. We ask you, Lord, that you would consecrate us, consecrate these gifts of bread and wine, so that 
in this Holy Communion. We might be made one with Jesus and he with us. That we might remain faithful members of his body until we feast with him in your heavenly kingdom. O Lord, you call us. You call us from death to life. And with the church down through the ages, we thank you for your saving love in Jesus. The one who made us his disciples, the one who taught us to commune with you around this table in remembrance of him. We ask, Lord, that you might be blessed by our lives as we walk in obedience to you by the power of your Spirit. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. The Lord Jesus, on the same night once he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take and eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner also, after supper, he took the cup. And he said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. When you drink of this, remember me.